0: What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that is helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. Here, so the show goes, you hit me up with three to five questions dealing with anything and everything from morality to spirituality, relationship advice, evangelization, discipleship, catechesis, and the list will go on and on and on. I will then sit with your questions, pray with them, study them, and hopefully respond in such a way that is helpful for you to become a saint. But my disclaimer is this, I am not perfect. I am not infallible. That For the advice that I share with you, the responses that I give to you might not be good for you. If that's the case, please, please, please reject whatever it is that I say that doesn't help you in your relationship with Jesus. But if my advice is helpful and difficult, I want to encourage you to lean into Jesus Christ so God can give you the graces that you may need to fulfill the demands of discipleship. If you are a first-time listener, you can hit me up with your own questions at wwwthatischurchpresscom slash askfatherjosh A-S-K-F-A-T-H-E-R-J-O-S-H You can hit me up with your own questions, comments, critiques, share with me your own glory stories, uh, talk about past shows or future shows. You can also rate us and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and other podcast formats. This helps other people to find out about the show. When You rate us and review us. And finally, you can share us on your social media pages as well. Your followers might not be aware of the podcast, and if there's a specific podcast that is good for you, it could potentially be good for them and they'll walk toward eternity too. Finally, you can stay in touch with me not only through this podcast, but also through the Ascension Presents Ask Father Josh show. It's a 30-minute show on YouTube where I only answer one question as opposed to three questions. And those are available on the YouTube channel for Ascension Presents. On today's show, we are going to talk about syncretism. Uh, we're going to talk about facing rejection whenever we pursue our vocations. And we're going to talk about the proper use of natural family planning. But before we get into those really good topics, I want to share with you a glory story. (laughs) So my glory story, yeah. So man, I am. Uh, mm, I got to go on vacation. This is like I'm like traveling. This next three weeks, I'm traveling. I did vacation uh, for three days, and then I'm going to focus. I'm flying out. By the time you hear this podcast, I'll be in an airplane going to Denver for Seek, and then I'm gonna fly from Seek in Denver to Seek in Dallas, and then from Seek in Dallas back home, and then i will be home for a couple of days to be at LSU and to do some vocation ministry. And then I'm going to go spend a few days with Jeff Cavins uh, and um, some of the priests up in his area because I'm trying to learn more about this new initiative that's coming down from the Vatican called the Propodutic Year. Um, and so uh, we, we want to accompany our seminarians really well in their formation. And so I'm going to go to be a student and sit at their feet and learn from their wisdom. But glory story, uh, sorry, ADD, get off on different tangents. Glory story is this, man, on my way to vacation, I was praying and prayer. First of all, prayer was just amazing. On um, it was so good. We were in this town in Florida that was empty, and I love empty towns. I love like going to pilgrimage sites whenever nobody's there. I just man, the best. But prayer was really great, and I was just man. I felt, I felt inspired to just call out to the saints and to ask like Saint Martin de Porres and Saint Josephine Miquita to ask Blessed Francesco de Paula Victor to ask St. Charles, the Wonga, and the Ugandan martyrs, to ask Servant of God, Thea Bowman, and Venerable Ahmed DeLille, and Venerable Augustus Tolton, and Venerable Pierre Toussaint, to, to ask all these saints who preceded me in my walk with Jesus to pray for me and to, and to intercede before the throne of God with me and for me that that the Holy Spirit would just give me all the gifts that I need uh to not only become a saint, but to help form saints in my land. If there's any gifts that the Lord wants me to have that I've not opened myself up to, for him to give me the grace to be aware of those gifts, to ask for, so that I could be a bridge for more people to come to know Jesus. And it was just a powerful moment of prayer where I was just like calling out to all these saints and thanking God for the gifts that he gave them and asking God if it be for my good, for him to share those gifts with me, whatever they might be, um, in addition to my charisms, so that I could Man, just walk with the people that the Lord has entrusted to my care. Mm, it was so powerful. So I don't know what your relationship is like with the saints, the blesses, the venerables and the servants of God who have gone before us. But I would highly encourage you to just ask the Lord to, to draw you to be in relationship with them so that they can help you to stay in relationship with him, with Jesus, who they are currently worshiping in heaven. Ah, Yeah, so good. Anyways, with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into today's show. First question comes in from Edward. Edward writes about syncretism. Hey, Father Josh, thanks a lot for the show. You've answered a lot of my questions that I've had without having to ask them. So my question is, how do we deal with syncretism? I believe you're in New Orleans. I'm, I'm in Baton Rouge, but I was in New Orleans for, for four years. Um, and there, just like in my country, Haiti, there's a lot of syncretism of church and voodoo. I wonder if you could answer kind of fast, because this is the main issue I've been Experiencing, am I converting to Catholicism process? God bless. As Edward, that's a great, great, great question. So, syncretism is whenever we blend our religious ideas. Um, uh, and, and so, instead of incorporating aspects of the culture that could be used to draw us to a deep understanding of our faith, what syncretism seeks to do is it, it takes the old and the new and essentially it creates something else with that, right? It doesn't just look at like, oh, what's good in this culture or what's good in this faith, what's compatible with Catholicism. It wants to add to Catholicism. Like this is what the Catholic Church is, this big old box. We have a huge box. It's not a small box. We have a big box with a lot of different members in the body of Christ, a lot of different personalities, a lot of different temperaments, a lot of different charisms, a lot of different movements of the Holy Spirit, a lot of different aspects of our church, huge big old box. And within that big old box, we have a lot of freedom to run around and go crazy and go wild within the confines of that big old box. Syncretism says, well, that box that the Lord gave us, that's that's not enough. So we want to have that box. But in addition to that box, we want to add another box. That's what syncretism does. It seeks to add to our faith something that is not proper to our our faith, mixing things together that that just cannot go together, that don't go together. Um, enculturation is different, right? Enculturation in New Orleans or in Haiti, uh, that's different. Uh, enculturation is what Mary does, right? And particularly, I have a big, beautiful image of Our Lady Guadalupe in my bedroom here at the rectory. It's huge, huge painting of Guadalupe. She's right in front of my bed. So every day I wake up, I see her. I have a kneeler right in front of her painting. I get to kneel down and pray my rosary with our Blessed Mother, And in that apparition, when she appeared to Juan Diego, um, she she appeared as an Aztec woman, as an indigenous woman. She appeared wearing things of their culture that they would understand that maybe you and I would not understand if we didn't know their culture, but they knew their culture. And so like, she had the, the black ribbon around her waist, which symbolized that she was pregnant in the apparition, pregnant with Jesus, that Jesus Christ was in her womb and she was standing before the sun. And so the, the, the womb was in front of the sun. So instead of worshiping the actual sun, she was encouraging them to worship her son, Jesus Christ. Right. So there's all these different cultural things in that particular apparition that communicated a message to the people that drew the people to the Catholic faith. That's enculturation. That's not secretism, right? Enculturation is what I did when I came to LSU eight years ago. When I first came to LSU, growing up, I was a basketball player. I didn't play football. I wasn't the biggest fan of football, though I'm watching football now. I saw I saw Joe Burrow win the other day, and it was a great game. So, um, and, yeah, so I saw the other game, too. So it's going to be a great Super Bowl. Really excited about that. But with that being said, when I first came to LSU eight years ago, the first time around, I didn't know much about football, but the culture of LSU is a football culture, So in order for me to communicate the faith to the students on campus, to the ones who weren't coming to mass, I needed to understand football so that when I went tailgating, when I went to the games, I could communicate the gospel to these students using the language of football. And that's what I did. And it bore supernatural fruit, enculturation. It's not syncretism. I'm not adding a football to the mass, right? I'm just using that which is in the culture to draw people to it. So Jesus gave us the church and we don't have the authority as Catholics to take away from what he gave us or to add to We cannot change what he gave us. I was having a conversation with somebody recently about this, about the sacraments and about why we can't change the sacraments. And one of the reasons, I mean, is because Jesus Christ gave us bread and water and wine. He didn't give us cookies and milk. You know what? I think cookies and milk tastes great. But at the end of the day, he didn't give us cookies and milk for the Eucharist. He gave us bread, water, and wine. So we got to use what he gave us. We can't change up the the, the story and flip the script. And so um, syncretism takes what he gave us, and it adds something totally new. It blends things that do not belong there. So uh, we just can't change it. So I think that, yeah, hopefully that was helpful for you. Whenever you look at things within the voodoo and, and Catholicism, there are things in voodoo that just don't mix with Catholicism. And so you have to make a choice. Either you're going to be Catholic or you're not. I remember I was walking with somebody years ago, and they, they said they are Catholic and, and Muslim. And I said, I'm sorry, you can't be Catholic and Muslim because Catholics believe Jesus Christ is the son of God. Muslims believe Jesus Christ was a prophet. So which one is it? Is he God or not? Hmm? So hopefully that was helpful for your question, Edward. Let me know. Hit me up with some more questions so I can continue the conversation with you. That's one of the gifts of this show is that we can keep the conversation going and um, follow up more with familiar questions. All right, next question comes in from Anonymous, and it's about discernment and vocations. Facing rejection the pursuit of vocation. Hey, Father Josh, I have a really messy story. Part of it is I didn't think I was called to religious order, and was also going through some difficult mental health struggles when they gave me the chance to join. So, I didn't. Later on, as I continued to pray through this, I tried to join them several times, and I was rejected each time. I've tried multiple other orders and have been rejected by them as well, sometimes even only because I wanted to do a come and see. I still think that at my core, one of the deepest desires is to bring people to Jesus in the Eucharist, but I'm not even getting the chance. I can't stop comparing myself to other men that get in and I'm wondering what's wrong with me. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to deal with all the thoughts that accompanied. I feel awful, terribly guilty. I know that the response is probably just move on, but how do I move on when I feel that I've ruined God's original plan for my life? How do I deal with rejection? Should I just give up on this desire? Anonymous. The good news is Anonymous is that God doesn't stop calling you. So if God is calling you, he's not going to stop calling you. You can't mess up his call. So um, don't put so much pressure on yourself. But the reality is, is that when it comes to any state of life vocation, we never discern that vocation in isolation from the community. So if you were discerning a say life vocation of marriage, you would be doing it with a, a woman, right? And that woman would have the freedom to say yes or no whenever you propose to her. You ask the question, will you marry me? And she can say no. And if she says no, you can't have a pity party and be like, oh my gosh, no, you have to say yes, right? So we have to give the other the freedom to say yes or no. And the same thing applies with religious orders and dioceses as, as well. Um, we don't discern by ourselves. God's calling me to join your order, so therefore I should get in. And they have the freedom to say, you know what? We think you're called to be a saint, but we just don't believe that we are the right place for you to become a saint, that that we can't accompany you well in your journey to heaven. So there's nothing wrong with you. We just don't believe that, that we're the right order for you. Um, and so we have to give the order and the diocese the freedom to also say, we don't believe that that we are capable of accompanying you, but we do think you're called to be a holy person. I've walked with so many people in discernment um, as a diocesan vocation director who first came to me, and they were really holy, and they were awesome, and they were great. But I had to be honest with them and say, like, it seems like you have a religious calling based on our time together, our conversation. And so I can't accept you into a diocesan seminary um, through my vocations office because— as a diocesan priest, you would die. I believe that you would do best as a religious. And there's other guys who are thinking about religious life, and I'm telling them, I'm, I really think that you're called to be a diocesan priest. And not, not for Baton Rouge, but like for your diocese, wherever that is. And so, uh, again, you have freedom to say yes or no and to go, but like, I have to be honest with you, as I'm walking with you, as I'm seeing your gifts, as I'm seeing the needs, as I'm seeing your desires, they really don't match that particular order. Even though you think they do, it might be best here. And so, we really need to be open to the fact that we aren't infallible in our discernment and that other people need to help us. But again, you also might be misunderstanding what you perceive in prayer from God. Uh, remember in the Bible, whenever Jesus healed that man who was possessed by the demons by legion, after Jesus Christ healed him, he said, I want to follow you. He wanted to be an apostle. And Jesus said, no. So he didn't always say yes. Like Jesus called people, but there are some people who wanted to follow Jesus as an apostle. And he said, no, you need to stay here and give your testimony. And he did. He stayed in his land and gave his testimony about what God had done for him. And his testimony brought many people to believe in the wonders of God because he chose not to be an apostle. Right? He, he was a lay person who followed the Lord in a different way. And so like him, you want to follow Jesus Christ as, as a consecrated person, as an ordained person. But Jesus can say no as well. He might say, you know what, I know you think that's what's best for you, but it's not. You have a desire to bring the Eucharist to so many people. You can do that through many other avenues. One of my favorite persons who is on the path to becoming a saint is a guy by the name of Servant of God uh, Jan Tarnowski. He was he was a layperson who, through his work, has brought the Eucharist to many people and many people to the Eucharist. So his story is this: very simple, very quick. Basically, he was an introvert. He was super socially awkward, and he had a lot of health issues. Because of his health issues, he had to stop working in the factory. He had to work at home with his parents and live at home with his parents, which he didn't mind because, again, he was an extreme introvert, did not want to be around people, was very socially awkward. He did go to Mass every Sunday. One Sunday at Mass, the priest gave a really powerful homily, talked about how we're all called to be saints. He was inspired, realizing that he too could be a saint. And so he began to study the spiritual masters like St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross was very much impacted by their spiritual life, by their prayer lives. So he began to pray every day. He began to go to Mass more than once a week. He began to recite the rosary, did true devotion to Our Blessed Mother, St. Louis de Montfort, and... In the midst of that, his priest began to notice his rapid growth in holiness. His priest saw a need for a youth ministry in their parish, so he asked them to be a youth minister. He said yes. He began to invite people to his youth group, which was very hard for him to do because he was socially awkward and extremely introvert, but he would stay outside the church door every single Sunday after Mass and invite people to join his youth group. And they would and he'll teach them how to pray. That's what his youth group is about. They didn't do games. They didn't go to events or participate in programs or do projects. They just prayed. And it was awesome. One Sunday, a young man came to church, He was like just really stressed out. He was grieving. His family members passed away. He was lonely. And he got invited to this youth group. He went and had a radical transformation, a conversion of heart. And he went to seminary, this young man, along with 11 other guys from that youth group. Then nine of them were ordained, three of them became bishops. And that young man who was very depressed and discouraged, he became the Pope, St. John Paul II, the Pope of the Eucharist, the Pope who brought the Eucharist to so many people and so many people have come to the Eucharist through him. So what I'm saying is that Jan Taranowski, as a youth minister, was a vessel that formed more people than just his parish youth group. But through his ministry, he was able to form John Paul II, who went around the world, drawing hundreds of thousands of people to fall in love with Jesus Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. John Paul II is like my spiritual father. So I am indebted to this guy, Jan Tarnowski, who died without even seeing all the fruit of his ministry. But again, like he was an instrument that drew people to the Eucharist. So I'll say all that to say, like, you know, sometimes we don't always perceive everything clearly. And that's the gift of the church. That's the gift of other people that we're discerning with is that they can help us see, nope, I know you feel that, but I'm not feeling that. And that doesn't mean that you're bad or not good or not wanted by God. It just means that God has a better plan for you. That's not what we initially think it is at times. Um, So if you have a deep love for the priesthood and it's not seeming to work out, then maybe God's calling you to be an intercessor for priests. Maybe God's calling you to help form future priests through your prayer, fasting, penance, and formation work that you could do with other young people in your community who could potentially be called to be priests. And so I just would encourage you to be open to uh, another way that God might be calling you. Continue to pursue. If you really think He's calling, you. keep Keep knocking. Um, but if the door keeps being shut, be open to God saying, I'm shutting the door for a reason because I know that even though you really want this, this wouldn't be good for you. Um, like I tell guys, I know you really want religious life, but I just don't think it'll be good for you. I really know you want to be diocesan priest, but I just don't think it will be good for you. Um, we have to trust that sometimes what we think is best is not really what is best. So I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm praying for you. You are seen. You are known. You are wanted by God. You are good, you are good, you are chosen. Um, I would encourage you to pray with um, with the prophet Isaiah if you want, Isaiah chapter 43, and just walk with God, walk with God. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and when we get back, we're gonna continue to talk about discernment, but particularly discernment with family.
1: How many kids do I have through NFP? Okay, here's the gut check right here because if nothing changes, nothing changes. Do you want to be holy? And do you want to be an instrument of renewal in this world? And if so, do you believe it's possible? Do you know what it looks like? Do you know where to begin? Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. My name is Father Mark Mary. I'm a Franciscan Friar of the Renewal, and I wrote a book called Habits for Holiness. And it pulls from over 800 years of Franciscan tradition, wisdom, and experience of radical and total discipleship in the midst of the world, but in a way which begins with little steps and works not only for religion, not only for priests, but for everybody. The change you desire is possible. The conversion you desire is possible. The renewal you desire is possible. The healing you desire is possible. And it begins with little steps. So to guide you on your way and to help you make the next best step of renewal in your life, I'd invite you to pick up a copy of my book, Habits for Holiness. God bless you.
0: And we're... Back, Just a quick reminder, you can hit me with your questions at www.assinciopress.com slash askfatherjosh. Final question comes in from Salem, or Salem, who writes this. Is it a sin to use natural family planning to wait to have kids until you discern that you're ready as a couple? Or do you have to try to have kids as soon as you're married? And my discernment of marriage and future... So far, I've thought it was morally acceptable to avoid intercourse during the fertile period and to just be open to accepting that you may get pregnant while having intercourse during the infertile period. I've become confused by people's interpretation and put VI's writings on this in humana vitae. I am not married, but I figured this would be helpful for me and my girlfriend and each of our discernments to know. Salem. I think that's your name, Salem. Let me know if I'm saying it right. I don't ever want to mess up somebody's name. All right, so Salem, look. Yeah, man, you got it. So the Catechism of the Catholic Church, this is where we go for our answer for this, right? It teaches us this, that a particular aspect of the fecundity of marriage concerns the regulation of procreation. For just reasons, spouses may wish to space the births of their children. For just reasons. So what are those just reasons? Well, the Catechism goes on to say that it is their duty to make certain that their desire is not motivated by selfishness, but is in conformity with the generosity appropriate to responsible parenthood. So... This means that your just reasons could be a number of things. In Humana Vitae, it mentions that there are a number of moral reasons why one might want to space out the birth of their children, which can arise from physical or psychological conditions of the husband or the wife or from external circumstances, right? And so there are a number of reasons why one wants to withhold from... Uh, having sex during fertile periods. But like you said, even still, when you have sex during infertile periods, you're still open to life happening. People can get pregnant when they're infertile uh, and during the infertile periods for the woman, right? Um, I think there's like typically only seven days at the month where she's fertile. So you have like the other 23 days to make love. But even still, right? I mean, most couples don't do that. Uh, As a priest, I walk with a lot of couples. That's just not normal. Uh, (laughs) But even still, yeah, what... Are there just reasons? As long as it's not just I'm selfish, I just don't feel like having kids. If it's your mental health, and again, mental health is very important. We have to take it into context. Uh, Is it physical things? Is it external circumstances? And so you and your wife, you discern what are those physical circumstances, those mental circumstances, and those external circumstances that could influence you to have sex, to make love during the infertile periods, which you're still open to having a baby because you're not using contraception or doing other methods that would prevent you from having a family. Uh, You don't have to have 100 kids to be a solid Catholic family, right? You can, if the Holy Spirit so calls you to, and praise God if that's the case, but you don't have to worry about that. So um, Humana Vitae 16, I think, will give you the insight that you're looking for. Physical, psychological condition of husband or wife or from external circumstances. So make sure you're not being selfish whenever you're with your family, um, but also don't allow the opinions of others to dictate when and how you're going to build your families and mature your families throughout your walk toward eternity. So hopefully that was helpful. All right, let's go ahead and pray. And uh, pray for me, because when you hear this podcast, I'm going to be on a plane. And pray for me to have the gift of tongues as I try to communicate just the word of God to his people, to draw them to to know him and to love him. Mm. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. God, you are good. You are good. You are good. God, you are so good, and I love you so much. You are enough. There's no one else for me, God. You are the only one that I want. You're the only one that I need. God, I ask that you give all of us the grace to believe that you really are sufficient, that you really are enough, God. For anybody right now that's struggling their relationship with you, that's struggling with doubt is the word I'm perceiving in prayer right now, Father, I ask that you speak to them through your angels and through your saints and through your members of the body of Christ, whether they are awake or asleep, that you communicate to them in a very profound and real way, that you will heal them. Um, and maybe there might be, a, uh, the doubt might be there because of some physical ailment or something like that. And God, if there's like a physical ailment right now that's preventing somebody from following you in discipleship, and particularly like maybe if it's like anything with an ear, if somebody's like, man, I just, I don't, I don't know, I can't believe because of the stuff that's been going on with my ear. Well, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask you, Father, you heal this beloved son or daughter of yours that is having these ear problems. That way they can just have a a greater faith to believe in you that nothing is impossible for you. Jesus Christ, nothing is impossible for you. May they fall in love with you. May they know, God, that you really are the one. You really are the one who we long for, who we dream about, who we sleep, who we look for when we are awake. God, you really are good. Draw us to your word and the scripture. Draw us to your sacrament of presence in the Eucharist. God draws to your face and the poorest so of the poor. God draws to you. We need you. We want you. We love you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, y'all. God bless. See you next week.